0: You probably heard this saying saying that there's two things guaranteed in life. Do you know what they are? Death and, exactly, taxes. Now, Montrealers know about both because potholes often kill us. They're so bad, right? Um, Not really. I hope not. But um, I've hit some doozies uh, in my time. And if you own a house, your property taxes likely went up this year, right? Montreal, across the island, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's, you know, mad about that. But it's true. I mean, it's kind of like guaranteed that, kind of, that those two things happen. Would you describe those two things as painful? Would you describe some of those things maybe sometimes as an element of suffering? I'm not great with pain or suffering. I remember the first time, I think it was 1990, I think it was four or something. I've, I never gave blood before, and I was in uh, school in, in Ontario, and so this blood donor clinic came to our school, and I thought, hey, I've never given blood before. I'm going to try to give blood in this moment. And so I voluntarily sat there welcoming a needle in my arm, right? And, and I, I looked away because I didn't want to see the needle going to my arm, but then I was just anticipating this cold prick of a needle, prick little needle going in, launching into my vein. Is somebody going to faint when I'm describing this right now? You guys Okay. You guys okay with that? And, and it was like, I was just anticipating this moment, this brief moment of pain. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I, I don't like kind of going through that stuff. Some people just look at it and say, bring it in, bring it in, bring in the, you know, bring in the needle. I just need to kind of look away and like, okay, when's this going to be over? How fast is this going to take? And so I'm kind of bad with that stuff. That might sound like trivial pain, and it really is. It lasts a second. And there's some things in our life that we would describe as trivial pain, but we know that there is parts of our life, parts of the journey of our life that we live, that will come with forms of suffering. That will come with forms of suffering. Now, I will never share that needle story to someone who's gone through a lot of pain, physical or emotional. They're telling me a really serious story. I will not sit there and look back and say, you know, once I gave blood, right? <laughs> like, Because it's, it's very trivial. But we know, we know that, that in our lifetime we have either already gone or will go through, or we know friends, family who have gone through forms of suffering. And sometimes that pain is unwarranted, unnecessary, um, not our fault. Sometimes it's consequential. Sometimes it's out of our control. Sometimes it's actually purposeful and needed. So the last few months, we've been in and out of this letter in the New Testament called 1 Peter. And we've walked through it kind of piece by piece. But the next two weeks, I want to take two major themes out of it that I think are really prominent. And this week, we're going to take this theme of suffering that is kind of laced through this letter uh, in these these small five chapters. And it's incredible because the word suffer comes up several times as Peter writes this letter to this church in the first century. Now, if you've been with us or been tracking with this as we've been teaching through it, you know that Peter actually calls his listeners foreigners, foreigners, Strangers. Um, We know that they've been marginalized, partly because of their faith, partly because of the empire. And he uses the word suffer quite a bit throughout this letter. Sometimes he doesn't use the word suffer, he uses the word grief or trials. He uses the word accusations or insults. One time he says, I know the fiery ordeal you've been through. Imagine using that language with a friend. What would they have had to go through to say, You have gone through a fiery, Ordeal. This is this comes up a lot in Peter's letter, but he also uses the past tense of the word suffer. He uses the word suffered. And every time he uses the word suffered, he refers to the suffering of Jesus. Past tense. That Jesus suffered for you. You are suffering now. But he keeps reminding them almost every time he uses the word suffer in their context, he uses the word suffered to remind them of Jesus' suffering for. Them. So Peter's audience knew suffering, and Peter writes this letter, and one of the themes that comes out, one of the reasons, is to encourage them, to support them through this suffering and to give them perspective. And I think, as is, if you walk through the letter kind of in one shot or pick up these themes, Peter's trying to give them hope in their suffering. He he doesn't try and remove it, he doesn't pretend that it's not there. There's different reasons why it exists, but he ultimately tries to help them understand that there's hope even in their suffering. Now, if you're like me, human nature, I mean, who would love to just avoid suffering, right? I mean, anybody would say yes to that. I want to avoid suffering unless you just love it and engage it, and that's up to you. But, but generally, humanity wants to avoid suffering. I mean, we want to try and avoid physical suffering or emotional or, or financial but you know, it's interesting. There's also this temptation as Christ followers because we're human too to do the same thing. And in some circumstances, it makes sense. I mean, in some circumstances, it makes sense to try and avoid suffering. If you see the pothole and you can move away, avoid you know, killing your wheel, right? That's normal. But then in some moments, suffering comes with a life of faith. Whether God has allowed it or not, Suffering often comes with a life of faith because a life of faith often leads us, one, to follow Jesus, but secondly, to bend our lives often to to God's will. And often it leads to some of the things I'm going to talk about in a moment. And, And I want to share a couple of ideas because I think there's different sources for suffering. Because often, because we're humans and we want to avoid suffering, we often kind of we kind of blanket our sufferings into one thing, one kind of like idea, and we, we pout about it. But even Peter, writing to this first century church, who has gone through some serious suffering, helps them understand that there's different sources to their suffering. The first one is consequences, right? Consequences is kind of a source of suffering. Some suffering just happens because of our decisions, right? If you're planning to go to New Hampshire, and you want to go over that mountain, kind of, um, there's this kind of cool mountain on the way to to this spot in New Hampshire, what's it called? I think North Conway. And so I thought one day, you know what, let's take the mountain route, but I didn't check the weather. And then I realized there's a snowstorm on the mountain, right? And it's like, well, that was a bad decision. Like, we could get killed going over the mountain because it's that bad. If you've ever been to Vermont and Smuggler's Notch years ago, and you kind of like go up to the top, and if it's like really bad snow, you just don't go because you could get killed, right? So sometimes there's consequences to our decisions. When I was five years old, um, I was living in Toronto, I was born in Toronto, and uh, there was an evening, um, we were just all there as a family, and so kind of this routine when we wash the dishes is, uh, is uh, usually, my, I had an older brother 10 year, have an older brother 10 years older than us, but my twin brother and my sister, we'd, you know, wash the dishes. So someone would wash, someone would rinse, someone would dry. My pet peeve was, was washing, Or drying. I didn't like to do either of those. I liked to rinse. Give me the dish, pass the dish. Give me the dish, put it under the water, pass the dish, right? And so I I wasn't given the rinsing option. And so I'm like, forget this. You won't let me rinse? I'm going to let you guys wash the dishes by yourself. And I go play in the living room. And I start fooling around with with kind of the ruler and triangle. I'm five years old with a geometry set. Start fooling around with it. Kind of playing around on my knee like a trapeze. And accidentally I damage my eye. And in that moment, you know, one of the pieces hits my eye, and I damage it. Go to the hospital, have to go in operation, get stitches, just the works. And I've had to live with those consequences ever since. Now, some of you who, if you're ever standing near me and you want my attention on my left side and I'm ignoring you, It's because I don't see well out of this eye, and so maybe I am ignoring you. Maybe I don't want to talk to you, but and maybe that's just an excuse. Now it's like I kind of see, but I'm pretending that I don't because I can't see well out of this eye. So if that's you, don't worry about it. Like we can resolve that later. But the reality is, is that decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to rinse. I'm going to go play, and then that accident happened. That was just consequential. And I've lived with less vision in one eye ever since. I'm grateful that I'm able to do everything I need to do in life, but I've lived through that consequence ever since. And sometimes we just suffer a consequence because of a decision or an action or a reaction. God didn't bring this about. God didn't, you know, say, Dave's going to, like, hey, Dave, go to the living room, get, you know, botch up your eye. It wasn't that God had this necessarily in his will for me. He's not punishing me or us sometimes with these consequences. It's often part of what it means to be human on this side of eternity. It's often part of what it means to have free will. It's often part of what it means to make a mistake or just make a decision and living with the consequences. Sometimes it's the consequences of following or not following godly principles. Right? Peter says, don't be surprised by the consequences of your actions. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, if you suffer, and and he kind of reverses it, he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler, because, you know, you can suffer if you're a meddler. There's consequences to meddling, right? And so so Peter says, if you suffer, it shouldn't be for these things. If you're going to suffer for your faith, if you're going to suffer for something good, cool. But what he's saying is there's consequences to the things we do and sometimes our consequences lead to suffering it's the law of consequences you don't study for an exam and you fail it it's very possible that's the consequence if you do pass it that was cool good but often there's consequences right when you spend more money than you make when money comes in your account and you spend 20 30 40% more or in our culture one a dollar 64 for every dollar you make that's there's going to be consequences right to that choice you're going to live in debt now there's this false Christian assumption that says because God is for me God's going to clear all the consequences of my choices. Because God is with me and because God loves me then God will save me from all my choices. And God doesn't always God doesn't do that. Sometimes we are very grateful that in his mercy that in his mercy he comes and he gives us favor in a moment but Generally, we have this false Christian assumption that because God is for us, we can make any decision and He's just gonna wipe it clean and fix it and clear the path. And for, it's okay if I did this. And even though this could happen, it's not gonna happen to me because I am a Christian. Or sometimes people say, while well, we're suffering for my faith, you know, I, I spent more than I make and, you know, I'm bearing my cross. This debt is my. No, that's not the cross that you're bearing, that's your debt that you're bearing right? And so I talked so poorly to my coworker at work, and I talked bad to them every single day, and now they don't treat me well, and I lost this project, and it's the cross I bear for Jesus. No, it's because you were stupid at work, and you talked poorly to your co-worker, right? There's consequences to our actions, and sometimes we have this false perception that, oh, this is because of our faith. And Peter says there's some consequences to our actions that we suffer. It's not God's fault. There's circumstances as well right? We just, some of us, happen to be in certain circumstances, difficult situations. Peter refers to slaves in that first century time, and he says, if, you are, if, you're, if you're in this situation, he's speaking to slaves, he says, listen, don't get in trouble for doing something wrong. If you're going to get in trouble, do, get in trouble for doing something right. But what he's saying is, he's not justifying their slavery. He's not justifying their situation. He says, if someone bears up pain under unjust suffering, what is he saying? He's saying, right now, this is Your circumstance, and if you really if if you are responding well, even within this circumstance, God commends you. But he he doesn't remove completely the circumstance, but he just says, "Hey, sometimes there's these circumstances we're in that lead to suffering." Some of us have difficult circumstances because we have been or are been in in a difficult marriage. Some of us have have served under an abusive employer. Some of us have lived under a corrupt regime. And it's circumstantial. And because of those circumstances, we have suffered. Sometimes circumstances can be purposeful. So the, so the person who's gone into debt for the next two or three years, they say, you know what, I'm going to suffer in a sense by living not on 80% of my salary, not on 70%. I'm going to live on 50% of my salary so I can pay off that debt. It's just a circumstance. It's like I'm, the next few years, this is my reality. If there's been a brokenness in your relationship or in marriage and then there's this rebuilding of trust for the next two or three years or maybe five years, I'm rebuilding trust in my relationship. This is my circumstance. It's not just normal for the next five years. Normal was five years ago. We had a problem. I messed up. There was this. For the next five years, it's rebuilding trust. It's circumstantial. Sometimes circumstances are beyond our control. I mean, we had this big... um, um, maple tree on our lawn. And it all of a sudden, like our, um, uh, the, the drain in our house wasn't working. We didn't know why, and we got the drain cleaned one time, two times, three times. We realized there was roots in our drain. So all of a sudden, like here we were kind of new to the area, or we, know we needed to fix up our house already, there was some other expenses, and, and now nothing's working in our plumbing. And we have to dig a 10-foot ditch in our front lawn, remove the tree, change the pipe, fix the walkway, do the garage, and it's like, oh my gosh. That was beyond our control. I mean, it wasn't our fault there was roots growing inside our drain, but there were. That was circumstantial. But Peter says, in, regardless of the circumstance, he encourages us to live such good lives, chapter 2, verse 12, in the middle of circumstantial stuff, suffering, that God will give us grace and courage to get through some of those moments, even when they're beyond our control. And the fruit of the Spirit can grow in us to respond and act in those moments. But here's this last source of suffering, and it's what I call contrast. I want to read a few verses that help us understand the contrast that Peter helps us with. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ. So it's not consequential necessarily just because I made a mistake. It's not just circumstantial. Here's if you are insulted because of the name of Christ. You're blessed, for the spirit and glory of God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, that's the only second time we read that in the New Testament, the word Christian. It's only in Acts chapter 11. uh, Christ followers are first called Christians at Antioch. It's a derogatory term. Oh, these are the people that follow this Jesus Christ guy. Here's the second time we read it in the Scriptures. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And use a couple of more references. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So here's this idea that sometimes we will suffer because of whom we follow. Because of the kingdom, God's kingdom that we belong to or the values we seek to live out. Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, if you suffer because you're living according to God's will, this unique allegiance to Christ, because we're following Jesus, because we're living out God's kingdom principles, suffering sometimes may come because of that, right? There's this contrast between Jesus' lordship in our lives and the, and, and the kingdom of darkness in this world, the scripture calls it. There's this contrast between the ways of God's kingdom and the ways of the empire, The ways of God's kingdom and the ways of the empire. Not just in the first century. Because if people called Jesus Lord, it meant they weren't calling Caesar Lord. And that automatically meant there was a contrast. Oh, these people aren't listening to Caesar. These people aren't worshiping and bowing down to Caesar. Well, now this contrast is taking place. But that happens in our culture too. If, if, we don't, if we don't want to be part of the violence in our culture, if we don't want to be part of the immorality in our culture, if we don't want to be part of the injustice in our culture, if we stand up to those things because they are not part of God's kingdom, but they're part of the empire, the ways of the world or the government, then that can be a contrast. You know, think of the civil rights movement. People who I believe were inspired by their faith stood up against racism and discrimination and when they made that stand, knowingly, they knew it was going to bring suffering. They knew it was going to bring suffering. Um, I, I can't remember the governor's name. Was it John Wilkins? John. Anyway, see, he, he, remember hearing the story? They asked him, "You know, when you were walking across the bridge in Montgomery, Alabama, on the day of that peaceful protest." And you were knocked down five times by the police. Five times you were pushed to the ground. You were beat to the ground. You were pushed with a shield. You were hit over the head. And here are these people who stood for what they believed were godly values that every person is made in the image of God. And they knew they were walking towards that peaceful protest knowing that they would suffer. That's this contrast that sometimes can take place because of the kingdom values of Jesus. So following Jesus will create contrasts in different ways in your life, different ways in mine. But it can bring suffering. Now, if we're honest, and we read 1 Peter, or we know the first century, we know that we haven't experienced the kind of suffering that they experienced there, especially not in Canada or in North America. Some have in our global world today, even today. But I think in our experience, we haven't. And I I was thinking, what might it look like for us because we're not persecuted by not being able to work. We're not marginalized and put aside. And I think here's just one idea I was reading about, thinking about, is this idea of social status. That sometimes our social status can take a hit. And I don't mean what people say about you on Facebook. <laughs> uh, I mean your real social status. What people, what people, how people view you. And how people embrace you in culture can take a hit. And when we take a loss of status, you know what we feel? We feel shamed. We feel shamed. When someone berates us just because of our belief, or when someone says, you're crazy to think like that, or when someone distances themselves from you because you have a certain value system and it doesn't fit with theirs, in our tolerant society, people become intolerant to maybe the values of Christ, there's a loss of status. And regardless if you're a Christian or not, a loss of status often feels like you're being shamed. You're being shamed. I was thinking about the gov- our governor general, right? A couple of months ago, uh, she was ta- I think she was talking to the, um, Amer- to the, to the aerospace industry, and she just kind of blurted out in the microphone, she kind of totally disregarded anybody with a religious view. But there were scientists, really smart, intellectual, experienced scientists in the room, and she berated them in front of everybody. Because it wasn't her view. And in that moment, those scientists who are, who are equally valid with all the other scientists in the room, because of their, their faith or their belief or maybe the approach they're taking, they were berated. They had this loss of status. And that loss of status can feel like you've been shamed. That made the news. In fact, people were saying, well, why would she say that? How could she say that? Because some people you know, were curious. But in that moment, there was that loss of status. I've shared this story before. My wife, before we were married, she would go to work, and uh, some of the people in her workplace that were married a second and third time and, and, and broken marriages or, or um, just a, a horrible view of marriage, they would tell her, Frank, what are you doing? You're crazy to get married. Rent this. She, they told her this. Rent your furniture. That's the deal. Rent your furniture. Don't go out and put deposits on furniture. It's not going to last. So here's Franca every day going to work, and there's this hit to who she's trying to be because she is trying to live out this value. It's just one example. And we can feel shamed because of that in our culture I think of youth and young adults and really anybody who's, who's trying to, to live a life of integrity or trying to live a life of sexual morality or trying to, to live in a way that honors Jesus in certain ways, and our society can berate us for that. And we can feel this loss of status, which turns to shame, which can feel a form of suffering. I Maybe mean, that's one way. Maybe you can think of other ways that we might feel that in our culture. Um. But Peter moves to this hope in suffering, and I'm so grateful for that because he doesn't just leave us there saying, well, you can suffer because of your consequences and you can suffer because of your circumstances, and hey, there's going to be a contrast to your life when you follow Jesus, so buckle up and suffer. <laughs> no, he, he walks through a couple of things, and I love what Peter does because the first way he gives us hope in our suffering is how he starts and ends the book. In chapter 1 and in chapter 5, this little phrase comes up. It's, it's in verse 6, chapter 1. Though for now... Though now for, what does he say? A little while you may have had to suffer. And he ends in chapter 5. After you have suffered a little while. It's amazing how he frames this letter to these Christians with this little phrase. A little while. He's he's trying to help them understand that he's, one, he's framing this letter in encouragement. He's framing this letter in support. But he's telling them, your suffering is not forever. Your suffering is not forever forever, that your suffering will pass, whether it passes after a season, whether it even passes after a lifetime as you anticipate the eternity ahead that will be void of suffering, Peter is trying to let them know, and as we read it to let us know, that why we can have hope in suffering is because our suffering is temporary. Our suffering is temporary. It's not forever. My dad, who had passed away 12 or 13 years ago, from his mid forties, I'd say, or mid to late forties, till he was about sixty, he had he he got sick, and um, it was it was a growth in the bottom of his leg, and uh, not many people knew about it because my dad just kept going and going and going, and he kept preaching and working and all this kind of stuff and and this pain started to grow more and more in his leg and in his foot and 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 five six years in he's like speaking behind podiums with his leg up because he can't even put his foot down because there's so much pain and seven or eight years into this 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 growth this type of cancer that's actually growing there is starting to just drain the energy in his body draining the energy in his body the last several years before he turned 60 you would see my dad and his face his skin was he was just white like he had no energy but he kept moving he kept going and I remember at one point you know this next kind of reality that struck us and struck him both sounds shocking but also was necessary they said hey mr manifold the doctor said this growth that's on your lower leg on your foot has moved to your thigh and we want to prevent anything from going further. We need to amputate under your, under your knee. So they amputated under his knee and they took um, part of the growth out of his thigh. And I'll never forget after the surgery's done and after he's waking up, you walk into his room, he's sitting on the bed and, and it's like, is this my dad? He, all of a sudden, color comes back to his face. Uh, his voice is stronger. He's breathing better. He feels like he has life. He's smiling. And you know what he said? He said, I have never slept like this in the last decade. After the, the, after the pain was removed, after the growth was gone, he slept for the first time continuously continuously. And he woke up with color and he woke up with strength and he woke up with a smile. And if you would have seen him go through therapy and embrace the prosthetic and walk to meetings, he was like a new person. You're like, prosthetic? Yeah, for him it was like the suffering's gone. And if someone could have told him along the way, it's only gonna be for a little while. It's only gonna be for a little while. And I, I, it was night and day before the surgery, after the surgery. And that just, it's just kind of this idea that when Peter tells them, listen, your suffering's not gonna be forever. Your suffering's not gonna be forever. And at least this perspective we have because of the promise of eternal life with Jesus. And it's, we don't just have hope and suffering because it's temporary. We have hope and suffering because of this future That Jesus promises us. Listen to just a few phrases uh, out of the book in chapter 1, 2, and 4. When Peter talks about this. When Jesus is revealed, you will suffer now. But when Jesus is revealed, he says, On the day God visits us, one day... When eternity kicks into gear. He says, when his, Jesus' glory is revealed. These phrases that come up throughout the letter to let them know there's a future perspective. There's a future perspective. It's not only what you see now. Eternity is at stake. Eternity is coming. And it's a beautiful thing. And I love just the fullness of chapter 4, verse 13. If you can go to that next slide. He says, I love this. And you might think, how could he say this to people who are suffering? He says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice in as much as you, one, participate in the sufferings of Christ. So Peter is saying you can rejoice, not because of the suffering, because the scriptures never say be thankful for sufferings, <laughs> but he says you can rejoice in the sufferings. Why? Because you're participating with the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus has suffered. Now that doesn't mean jump off a cliff to suffer for Jesus. Jesus. That doesn't mean volunteer, you know, to be killed in, in that way. It doesn't mean like, yeah, sign me up for pain, you know. Let me go to 100 uh, blood donor clinics, right? It's, 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 not, it's not that. We don't have that kind of like cathartic, weird way to look at that. That's not our theology. But there's this idea in the scriptures that when we suffer, we participate in the sufferings of Jesus. We kind of find this alignment and, and connection to Jesus, And Peter says you can rejoice because when you suffer for Jesus and when you suffer as a contrast in in our society, you are are aligning yourself with Christ. But then he says, so that you may be, secondly, overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He says one day you're going to celebrate. One day you're going to know that there's no suffering. And I wrote it like this. If you can read it off the screen with me, I said, you can celebrate in your suffering now. Not, not, not be thankful for it, not want more of it, but you can celebrate in your suffering now. In other words, celebrate who you are in Christ because you will celebrate with no more suffering later. That's his promise. You can celebrate, we can celebrate in our suffering now because we will celebrate with no more suffering later. So we can anticipate the joy and the hope and the restoration and the healing. We can suffer with hope because our future is not like our present. It's not like our present. And you know, I said it already, that us in the Western world, we do not struggle like Christians do in other parts of the world. But I, I I still have a sense that our future is going to be more glorious. You know why? Because in the Western world, I mean, we can fix things, right? Like as much as the issue happened at my house, I was able to find a contractor to fix the pipe. Or as much as I can feel like a loss of status in my culture, no one is necessarily stopping you and me from working. But there's parts of the world where people suffer because of their faith. And I think I'm excited for people who suffer like this now. I'm not excited because they suffer. But I am excited because of the deep joy they're going to experience one day. The scripture says, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, because they will be lifted up. And there are brothers and sisters of ours across the world who are suffering because of their faith. And one day their celebration will be awesome. Their joy will be Will be incredible. We can suffer with hope because of a future perspective. And here's the last piece we can suffer because it changes us. We can suffer with hope because it changes us, it transforms us. There's this testing and this teaching that happens. When Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you, fiery ordeal. It's like walking through a furnace. It's this idea that suffering can test us, suffering can purify us, suffering can, can cleanse us in a way that it kind of like, just like when, when a piece of gold that's dirty goes through fire, the dirt falls off it, and often suffering becomes like that fiery ordeal that, 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 that shapes us and changes us and teaches us and tests us and purifies us to make us into what God sees us. I mean, how many of you, be honest, have gone through something. You wouldn't have wanted to go through it. But after you've gone through it, you said, I'm a different person today. I'm a different person today. You can say, you know, God used that situation, that suffering to humble me or to change me or to teach me or that suffering changed my relationships forever. That suffering changed the way I view finances forever. That suffering changed the way I look at people at work forever. We can look back at some of those moments and, and recognize that suffering has taught us and that gives us hope that our suffering is not lost, that God can use that suffering to teach us and shape us. Even in verse 17, he talks about judgment that begins with God's people. And no one likes judgment, but judgment is that kind of purifying process that shapes us into an instrument that God uses for his glory. And Peter is letting them know, allow your suffering to help you become the person that reflects God's heart the person that God envisions you to be. It leads to transformation. And, and, and when I think about that, there's this beautiful promise. And um, it's just an amazing promise. And in chapter 4, verse 14, look at what it says. It just caught me off guard. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There's this, this, this promise, this, this kind of paradox that as we, when we are insulted or suffer because of the name of Christ, we're blessed. Why? Because God, the Spirit of God's glory and God actually begins to rest on us. In a sense, we find favor with God. I found this story of the person who translated the scriptures into English for the first time. His last name was Tyndale, and you might have heard about his story. It was, it, was, it was before, even before like the 1600s when the King James Version of the Bible was, was produced. So here's this guy, this Christian. He, has, he had this dream. He had this desire that everybody would read the Scriptures. And so he wanted so bad to take his time and his energy and his, and his intellect to translate the Scriptures. At that time, I think it was from Latin to English to make sure everyone in his region could read the Bible in their language. And it was a really... Weird time at the time because the church was kind of too connected to the state and too supported by the government and, and sometimes a mix of government and a mix of church and, and, and it was it wasn't a great, I think, season for the church because the official church got mad at this guy. Cause they could not see his vision. And they actually didn't want him to do any other drafts. So he created this first draft, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't the kind of language that people really needed to read. So he was stuck. He says, I got no more money. If nobody buys my copies, if nobody buys the, this first draft, I, don't have the, I won't have the time or money to, to do better revisions and to really produce a good quality version of the Bible for people to read in English. So what the church did and the government, they said, you know what, we're going to mess this guy up. They bought all the copies. They're like, we're going to buy the copies so no one can have this. So what happened? Well, they did this despite him. But because they bought the copies, he had money to do the other revisions. And he, he, he produced the second and third and other revisions, which eventually gave way to what we know as the King James Version in, 19, in 1611 that, that really just like, was incredible for the English world. And it makes me think, it makes me think what some intend for harm, even in our suffering, God's glory and spirit rests on us to do something beautiful. God's glory and spirit and power rests on us to do something beautiful. So if you suffer for Christ, we don't seek the suffering, but we can embrace it and welcome it because the spirit and glory of God will rest on you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we come to a close this morning. And Peter closes this section. I encourage you to read on your own, chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. It's kind of the crux of Peter talking about suffering, but it's all over the letter. But he closes the section in verse 19. And uh, he he says this, he says, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, when you suffer according to God's will, when you suffer as a follower of Christ, Peter says, put your trust in God. Put your trust in God and continue to do good. Remember what he said back in chapter two, verse 12, live such good lives among your culture. Peter closes this section on suffering, calling them and us to trust God in our suffering, to trust him in our suffering, and to keep spreading goodness. Now, that's not easy, right? That in the middle of suffering, we would spread goodness? Remember I told you about my dad when he, just before he amputated under his knee? Uh, for 18 months, he had a nurse, and I've shared a bit of this story before. He had a nurse visiting him, Every day, this nurse came at 8 in the morning and cleaned the wound medically for him. Every day, spent 20 or 30 minutes with my dad uh, removing the bandage because this was an ongoing wound. He just would never heal. 18 months, this nurse came to his house. 18 months, every morning at 8 in the morning, she would show up. She would remove the bandage. She would clean the wound. She would dress the wound with a fresh bandage come back the next day. My dad got this news. He had to now amputate his leg. Well, that removed the wound. So it was the last day the nurse shows up. Her last day on the job at the Manifold Residence in Toronto. And, and she's with my dad, and she's, she's, she's weeping in that moment. She starts to cry, and he's wondering, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Like, he was thrilled in a sense of, uh, like, what is this going to mean? Maybe there's a next step. Who knows? But she says, why are you crying? And she says, you know, I looked forward to coming here every day. I found healing here and hope here. I found goodness here. And I found something here, a peace here that I could not find anywhere else. And it jogged my memory as I was thinking about this message this week. I thought, how incredible that we can walk through suffering. And when we trust God through our suffering and we continue to do good, there's an overflow to the people around us. that amazing there's an overflow to the people around us that a nurse that would just come to to clean someone's wound would say i i really need I, i need this every day i know it was your pain but it was my peace and i think because when we suffer and when we trust god and when we commit ourselves to god faithfully in the middle of that suffering regardless of the source of it And we continue to do good, to share good news with people, the good news of Jesus, to share goodness with people. Here's this promise. The spirit of glory and of God rests on us. And God uses those moments to to do things that we could not do in our own strength, that we could not fathom being done through our suffering. So as as we wrap up today, I want to pray. And... um, just come to this moment in our gathering where we we just bring our lives to the Lord maybe some of you have been going through some suffering maybe it's been consequential and you know that and the Lord knows that the Lord loves us, is graceful to us even in consequential suffering when it's our choice, our decisions he wants to work with us, lead us love us, equip us there's principles we can learn from his word to move out of that maybe it's circumstantial, it's been a difficult season and it's been out of your control and it's been circumstantial but you've been suffering through it Maybe, maybe it's because of your faith. Maybe as you're following Jesus, there's the contrast. And that contrast, you felt the suffering. But the promise is regardless of the source, we can have hope through suffering. And especially when we, we suffer as followers of Christ, there's this beautiful favor that rests on us. Something amazing can happen even through that. So I want us to, in this moment just to bring our, our suffering to the Lord, to bring whatever season we're in to the Lord just to bring it to him. Say, Lord, we tr- Lord, I trust you. And give me the grace and the courage to continue doing good. That's the words right out of Peter's letter. To live a life that honors you. Empower me to do that. To share good news around me. Let me trust you with that. And so we're going to pray. The team is going to lead us uh, just in the chorus of a song we sang. And as, as they're leading that song, as we close our gathering today, if there's anybody who needs prayer because they are suffering, uh, when we close our gathering, there's going to be two or three um, people that come up to the front. Uh, Jonathan and Victoria will be here, Simon and Sanaz. Um, I see if Mike and Sue are here, if they can be available. Just just here, like corner, corner, middle. And we're going to end the gathering, but if you need prayer and you can start coming up for that, just to be prayed for. Just say, I'm, I've been going through a really difficult time. I really need um, the Lord's intervention to help me trust Him. Or I've been going through a difficult time. I need strength. Or I need discernment in how to work through this. Just ask, just just they'll just pray for you quietly and bless you in that moment. I'm gonna pray now. We're gonna sing. And uh, and as we sing, if you need prayer, you can come up to these few people here and uh, when we finish this song, we will close our gathering, okay? So let's pray together. Father. God, we recognize you know that there are different reasons for our suffering. Lord, give us the, the discernment and humility. Give us the full awareness of of who we are so we can really discern the source of our suffering. Help us not to be the kind of people that that blame you or blame our faith or blame others when when we're walking through a difficult season because of a consequence. Lord, we embrace that and, and ask you for wisdom to work through it and out of it. We trust you give us that, Lord. For some, God, going through difficult circumstances, God, for whatever reasons, Many of, the, many of the times it's not our fault, it's the circumstance, and, and we're faced with it, God. God, help us to be people of courage and integrity and love through that. And God, as we suffer at times for our faith, maybe there's a loss of status, maybe there's a shame, maybe there's a marginalization, maybe there's something, Lord, and God, we, we embrace, we embrace the suffering that at times comes because we call you Lord and we call you Lord with all of our hearts and minds and souls and we just embrace whatever contrast that might lead to in our society. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in some situations where they have faced such difficult suffering because of their faith. Lord, may your, the spirit of glory rest on them. May you rest on them and give them favor. May you give them courage to be committed to you, God, and trust you and us, God, in our situation. Lord, thank you that our suffering's temporary. Thank you that we have a future perspective. Thank you that you can use anything in our lives to teach us and shape us and purify us. We pray this in Christ's name. And I want to close just saying this to you. I thought I'd kind of write a benediction. Brothers and sisters of West Side Gathering, may we discern the sources of our suffering and live wisely. May we embrace the moments we suffer for Christ's name and live boldly. And may we discover the unique hope in our suffering that only comes when our lives are in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, everyone.